0: Hello and welcome back to the Middlemen Podcast, where this week it's a bit of a Max special. After uh, quite a while of just me and their Abrahams and my incredibly good friend and co-host Max, this week we welcome one of boxing's biggest up-and-coming content creators, uh, Max. This week you interviewed the man behind one of Twitter's most popular boxing accounts. It's, of course, Mighty Max, a man best known for his honest opinions and sometimes pretty crazy conversation starters. Um, you covered a range of topics from how to grow on social media to Lomachenko, Devon Haney, Fighter of the Year contenders. Uh, he gave us an exclusive on Dimitri Bivel versus uh, Gilberto Ramirez, a.k.a. Xurdo. Uh, I think that's tomorrow night. And Max, uh, he gave us his views on the situation between Errol Spence and Terence Crawford, including including the um, Devin, uh, David Avenissian fight. So before we jump into the chat... Um, there were points where he inspired me, I, I, he had me shouting at the screen, he, he really got me thinking, and I'm, I'm gutted I couldn't be there. I was on um, pre-game press conference duties for BBC Radio Derby, so I had to go down to Derby County's training ground and more Farm, and I'm really gutted I missed the interview, but it, it's a great list, so I'm really excited to get into it, and and Max, just how enjoyable was it, that talk with with Max?
1: Oh, it's brilliant. You know, me and you will be on here uh, for an hour every other week talking about boxing. It always feels like, not like a weight off my shoulders, you know, but it, it just f- feels so therapeutic to to just go and talk about everything been hot in boxing over the last week or so. Um, so to do that, I think we did it for a real extensive amount of time and we could have gone on for longer, really. I, I could have done another hour just to kind of delve into each other's opinions a bit more and... Um, and go over, you know, everything that's been trending in boxing so far. But, um, yeah, no, he's, he's a great guest. Uh, it's brilliant to kind of return with our guests, um, with with him leading the way. So, yeah, no, re- really great chat last night. But uh, in, in your case, it's okay uh, that you missed it. I mean, so- sounds like you had uh, pretty much better things to do, mate, being out there uh, at, at the training grounds, you know, getting stuck in with the, with the footballers there. So, sounds like uh, we both had a great night.
0: No, nothing's ever better. Nothing is ever better than talking to you. But it's enjoyable, but but it's not on the same level, I promise you. <laughs> um, let's get into it then uh, with Max. Max, I'll let you do the honours. Yeah, so without further ado, uh,
1: as Noah introduced him, one of the uh, the hottest guys on Twitter right now, uh, this is my chat with
2: Mighty Max Boxing. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's an honour, and thank you so much for the compliments. Uh, I'm excited to talk boxing with you, and uh, once again, much appreciated for you having me on.
1: No worries, mate. Yeah, you have this... Uh, always seems like so eager to like uh with boxing you know you seem so passionate um whenever i'm looking at your tweets uh on my phone how i just wanted to like figure out because you're only 17 now right so yeah how long has has boxing kind of been that passion for you when because i started off about nine years old so when did it kind of really take off for you and how long have you uh you really been committed to this sport
2: Well, I got into boxing in May of 2012. So I was six. I was about to be seven. Uh, My mom showed me a fight. She showed me a card. It was Canelo and Mosley and uh, Floyd and Cotto. And ever since then, I just kept my mom, apparently, because it was so long ago, I don't remember details. She told me that I just kept talking about those fights and I was just so into them and so into the sport in general. And she just kept showing me fights and I kept watching. And since then, I've just been continuing to get more and more into it. I made a YouTube channel in August of 2015. I made a Twitter account a long time ago, but I didn't actually start tweeting until near the end of 2020. So, um, I've grown quite quickly on Twitter, especially compared to YouTube. And yeah, that's basically how I've gotten into the sport.
1: Yeah. I see, um, uh, uh, some of your tweets, you know, you're kind of plugging uh, your YouTube and, and sharing, uh, like predictions for the fights, like your content's mm-hmm. great on there too, but, um, with the rise on Twitter, like how did that come about? Was it just cause I'd say, you know, you're really consistent on there. So how, how did it come about and how is it kind of dealing with, uh, so much interaction on there with certain tweets?
2: You know, it's kind of interesting because my my rise on Twitter was uh, – honestly, I really didn't expect it the way it's gone because, honestly, I started a little quicker than the average person on Box Twitter, but not much. And then I had a, this debate in July of 2021 against a man named Checkmate Boxing on this uh, Knockouts of Nika YouTube channel where basically I called this guy out for debate. I completely clowned him, completely roasted him before the debate. So I'm talking all this trash ahead of time of the debate, and this is a guy no one likes in general, not even to dis- disrespect him. It's just a it's pretty known fact. So we debate and I completely cooked him badly. So there was about 2,000 viewers for that debate. It, I wasn't even the main debate of that video. But when I was debating him, that video got a lot of views and I, com- I didn't just beat him. I crushed him really badly. The chat was spamming. It was it was crazy. And this is me, 15, 16 years old against a grown man. And I dominated him and I gained uh, maybe 300, 400 followers from that. I had 700 prior and I got like over 1,000 after that. And since then, it's more just been... I don't know how to describe it. I feel like it's just been a steady rise since then. I still remember each milestone I had. So I hit a thousand followers, August 25th, 20, uh, 2021 I hit 2000 on January 6th. I hit 3000 on April 2nd. I hit 4,000 on May 20th, 5,000 July 24th and 6,000 October 1st. We're getting kind of close to 7,000 already. Um, so it's just been more of a consistent rise. There's many. Oh, uh, I don't really know exactly what my format. I feel like the reason I, have grown so quickly is because i just say what i'm thinking a lot of people don't just say what they're thinking on twitter they make these long tweets over overthought tweets and i just put something very simple i'll just say triple g beats andre ward in their prime something super simple and you'll get lots of engagement lots of likes and lots of um viewership overall
1: would you say then uh for for anyone kind of looking to grow um on social media with boxing content would your advice just to be to to jump on debates and, and cook these guys then
2: I feel like bait tweets and basically, bait tweets, people always say I, I bait with my tweets. It's not that I bait because I, I say what I believe in all of my tweets. It's just I say what n- and not everyone's willing to say. So I'll have a bold take that not everyone will agree with. And most people, if they had that same take, they wouldn't make that take public. They wouldn't have the, the guts to actually tell people that's what they're thinking. I'll tell people exactly what I'm thinking. I will usually post a picture with my tweets because for some reason, pictures get really good engagement. And I will just stay consistent. Also, what's a really good tip to do is to make tweets about fighters when they're trending. So say this week we got Dimitri Bivol. Make tweets about Dmitry Bivol. Maybe make something. I haven't even done this yet, but I may do it after his video. Dimitri Bivol versus Andre Ward. Prime versus Prime. Who wins? There's a lot of methods that people don't realize. When a fighter's trending, first of all, they're trending on Twitter. So there's a whole trending page for that fighter. People scroll for that fighter and they see tweets with that fighter's name involved. If a, if a fighter is fighting on Fight Week, make sure to make a few tweets about them as well. There's many ways to to uh, grow on Twitter. It's so in-depth.
1: I feel like, uh you know, that's, that's kind of refreshing to see as well. Because as you said, people either come up with these, I don't want to say like PR plan, but kind of really overthought. Uh, I can even get like a bit extensive sometimes in my tweets. But um, other times there'll be like bait tweets where that's not even somebody's opinion.
2: Exactly. They're I believe everything it. I say. Yeah. And here's the thing: it's not that there's an issue of having a, a deep opinion of it. I'm exactly like that. But when I first started Twitter, I used to make those type of tweets, and I got nothing. That you got to remember: in our society in 2022, people have extremely, extremely short attention spans. You have to catch their attention right away. That's what my tweets have been doing for uh, well over a year now, and that's why my account keeps growing.
1: Exactly, and I, uh, you know, as much as I'm a fan of your stuff, even I uh, don't agree with you on everything. Of course, so that's think,
2: completely fine. Of course,
1: exactly. That's, I think that's what be, it's all about: being polarizing in that degree and just kind of having that, um, keeping that opinion going, you know, and kind of reinforcing yeah. uh, what you think about one thing, but then like a whole different load of topics within boxing as well. And exactly, exactly. Speaking of, uh, I want to get into our first one. Um, one of the the many hot topics over this week, uh, not necessarily, I mean, there's been some, some topics that haven't been, you know, trending for the right reasons, but I feel like this is a, a healthy discussion um, regarding Vasily Lomachenko and Devin Haney. Uh, Lomachenko coming off a very hard-fought win. Uh, one people were probably not expecting him to have to dig as deep as he as he actually did for. Um, and before, you know, going into this fight with uh, Jermaine Ortiz, there was all this talk um, about Devin Haney and why Lomachenko is still in the top 10 pound for pound uh, in the Ring magazine, uh, although Haney hasn't been recognized as that. Uh, And then, you know, that kind of boiled into the ring actually after Lomachenko's fight where Haney went in there, I think, for the the post-fight press conference, uh, the post-fight interview. So uh, that's looking like a potential next fight. Uh, I just wanted to get your views on on that kind of Lomachenko-Haney debate and and how you see it uh, turning into a fight later on.
2: You know, it's very interesting because my views on this fight have changed quite clearly, specifically after the Ortiz fight. Because after the Nakatani and the Komi fights, my opinion was pretty set still. But after this fight... A lot of my opinions have changed. Now, I, I was never a guy who accused Loma of ducking Haney. I don't know where that came from. I think that was completely incorrect. You can't duck a mandatory to fight a champion, right? That doesn't make any sense. But anyways, I was picking Loma to win for a very long time. And I was never confident that he would dominate Haney. I always said it'd be a close decision. Even when Haney was on the rise, I knew this would be a tough fight for Loma. At this stage, I'm picking Devin to win. Straight up, I'm picking Devin. I made a tweet pretty recently. Loma, his feet have slowed down. His... He's a punch. He has good power. 135. He doesn't have the power to really affect Haney, in my opinion, unless he really lands barrage of shots. His defense has definitely gotten worse. It's gotten more leaky as Ortiz was having a lot of success offensively, much more than I expected him to. And his reflexes aren't all there as well. he's, He's also a lot smaller than Haney. Haney's on the rise. Haney's looking better and better every fight. I feel like the logical pick for me would be Haney 8475. Now, is he a better fighter than Loma? Not in his prime, in my opinion. We don't know how good a prime Haney will be, but a current Haney versus a prime Loma, that's a different discussion. But in 2022, I think Haney would edge out Loma 8475. And I'm a Loma fan, so I don't want anyone saying, oh, bias. No, I like Loma a lot more than Devin, but you got to look at boxing objectively, and, and Haney would defeat Loma, in my opinion, right now
1: yeah i I think i'm with you on the in the sense that after the fight um especially when you saw kind of haney next to loma and really saw that size difference i mean uh loma's small for, for 135 as we know and yeah as, as soon as he lost to lopez everyone was kind of calling for him to go back down uh Me to too. the lower weights um and with haney he's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where people uh after his second fight with george cambosis are asking him to Go up to 140 for the sake of his health because uh yeah. he looks he looks pretty drained at 135 so both of those um you know i feel like that kind of uh type of conversation was really brought into the uh, the conor ben and eubank thing obviously before the whole drug testing stuff but in terms of the the catch weights as well the talking about the advantages and disadvantages that comes with either putting weight on or being too small for a division or being too big for one um but i think yeah haney haney looks to really have the advantage uh, over loma 135 there
2: yeah, he does. He does. He's a lot bigger. He's younger. He's fresher. Yes, people say he's draining. I've actually been concerned for Devin Haney's uh making 135 for a, a long time, even before he was a champion. But Haney's performance against Cambosos in the rematch was the best he's looked, in my opinion. And a lot of people disagree. They say hu- he's holding, he's hugging, he's clinching. Haney's always done that. His offense flowed very well. When he let his hands go, he looked very sharp. He was accurate. He was buzzing Cambosos. He bloodied them up badly. He Offensively, he looked very sharp
1: yeah and uh with with that rematch actually i think it's done more benefits for haney than i thought it would do because i thought look he dominated him in the first fight we don't need this these rematch clause type of things are something that's ruining boxing you know i was kind of fed up with it but to be fair haney's i feel like haney's stock has risen since that fight and as you said he might have just put on the performance of his career there
2: exactly the reason the stock rose in my opinion it didn't rise massively right but it, it definitely rose, and the reason is he fought George in a rematch, and he didn't just edge him out or or just beat him 9-3, 10-2. He made sure to make it emphatic. He blooded him up badly. He beat him up. Yes, he held a lot, but he outclassed him. If he didn't hold, he still would have won the fight. It's kind of obvious. He proved that the first fight, none of us thought it was a fluke, but he made sure that he was a better man. Like He he put a, an exclamation point. If he stopped him, it would have been even better, but he beat him even wider, which most people didn't think would happen. I don't want to brag, but I'm bragging anyways. I called the rematch spot on, 100%, everything. I even called the scorecards. I said 10-2, 11-1. I made videos on it because I knew that Devin would would figure out and fix some of the, the slight flaws he had the first fight and some of the complaints from the fans, and he would capitalize on it, and he would make bigger statement than the first time around, and he definitely did that.
1: You are quite scary with your predictions uh, with, <laughs> with some fights. <laughs> I feel you, like that's kind of like betting in a sense. Like you you're you're sure the ones that uh, – or kind of promote the ones that you do win, but – Maybe on on some some ones that you don't necessarily get, you won't, won't push them out too much. But that makes of course, sense. Of course, that, of course, that's how you it. do
2: it, man. You gotta. Um, I'll message you some stuff. That's all I'll say. Okay, but, um, okay cool, cool. I don't want to give away all my secrets, right? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, what was I gonna say, man? I lost my train of thought. But Devin definitely looked sharp. He he definitely looked uh much better than I thought. You know, it's actually funny when you talk about the predictions. I actually won someone a, a, over a thousand dollars in a fight prediction I made they told me they used my prediction and it was for Felix Verdeo versus Masayoshi Nakatani I don't know if you remember but Nakatani was like a 1200 uh underdog something crazy and I was picking Nakatani to win and he I wonder how that person felt after like the third or fourth round going by my prediction because Nakatani was getting cooked early but when he stopped Felix apparently the person who commented under my YouTube video told me that uh she won I think over a thousand dollars so that makes me happy you know that occasionally you know I'll help someone out
1: yeah, you should, have, uh, you should have asked for a percentage in that.
2: <laughs> anytime, anytime someone says they're going to bet my prediction, I always respond, you got to give me uh, a 10% fee. A yeah. 10% for <laughs> <that."> <laughs>
1: Brilliant. And um, just, just moving on from, um, well, probably to actually finish off this, this Loma and Haney section. Uh, for now, where do you see the pound for pound rankings? Uh, would you still, because before uh, the Loma Ortiz fight and before the haney Cambosis rematch, I was a firm believer of Loma because I you know, I'm I'm a fan of him as well. You can you mm. can only love his style, you know, love I love Loma. And, and He's top he
2: three, top grind. four favorite fighter of mine right now for sure. I've always loved Loma.
1: Um so I always was like kind of on the ring side in in the sense I don't want to like say his sides like there's there's fighting, but you know, there's people with with yeah, divisive opinions here. For sure. And I, I thought that Loma still deserved to be in the top ten because I think you know, people can can call it Lopez's leftovers, whatever. He fought the guys that were in front of him impressively in uh sure. with Nakatani and, and Kami uh before this Ortiz fight. So I thought he's still cemented, although, you know, near the kind of higher ends of the of the list in terms of like eight, nine, ten around there. But I thought, you know, Haney might still have a bit of work to do. But I think now that time's gone on a little bit uh, there's there's a much bigger case for Haney and probably a lesser case for Loma now.
2: Yeah, I actually, um, surprisingly, because a lot of people disagree with me, I've had Haney top 10 pound for pound after the George the first George win, because my criteria is if you're undisputed, you're on my pound for pound list. And no matter who it is, it could be Deontay Wilder, it could be anyone, Canelo, who I don't like, but you got to acknowledge. No matter who it is, if they're undisputed, I put them on my pound for pound list. And I had Devin on my pound for pound list, even though at the time I thought Loma would win and I, and I liked him more, but... The reason I actually don't have Loma on my pound-for-pound pound list, and it has nothing to do with the Ortiz fight, what I think it is is, say Loma lost to, say, Josh Taylor instead of Teofimo Lopez, right? He moved up to 140, lost to Josh Taylor, and then he fought Kome Nakatani. He would still be on the pound-for-pound pound list because he didn't really have to prove too much after losing to a guy like Josh Taylor. He's not really supposed to beat Josh Taylor. But he lost to a guy that he was supposed to beat, and yes, he had some decent wins when he came back, but he didn't really do the type of statement and have the type of comeback necessary. To really recapture what he had previously, I mean, he lost to a, to a, a sol a, a really good fighter on Tifimo, but a young and experienced fighter and an underdog. When you lose to a guy that you're supposed to be, you need to come back with vengeance. And yes, he looked great against Nakatani and great against Kome, not so much against Ortiz. He needed to have a little more momentum after that loss. And I feel like it took him; it's taken him too long to really rebuild on what he had previously. So after a while, I'm like. I got to, especially if these guys like Better Biev and and Haney and all these other guys, Dimitri Bivol, all coming out of nowhere to the pound for pound list, you got to start kicking some guys out. And I took Loma out of mine. He was one of the fighters I took out.
1: Oh, that's fair enough. And uh, if this Loma Haney fight does get made, I think, well, I know that will be the one that kind of cements which person really does belong in that, sure. in that top 10. And you said something interesting there, as you mentioned uh, Canelo, saying that you you know, you said you're a fan of Loma, but not necessarily a fan of Canelo. Um, I'm different in that sense. I think because my favorite fighter's always been Floyd Mayweather. So since uh, mm, Canelo, since Canelo fought him, I've I've always rated him and, and followed Canelo's career closely since then. So, uh, what is it that you're not necessarily a fan of then?
2: It's interesting, and people, no one, very few people know this. People on YouTube know this, but people on Twitter don't. You know, Canelo used to be one of my favorite fighters, like right. top two, not top five, not top ten, top two. Um, I'd say the turning point is when he fought Amir Khan. That's when I really changed. And the biggest reason that I don't like Canelo is because I'm a Triple G guy. That's my favorite fighter of all time. So it's obvious. But I tried to – I actually tried to like Canelo. You know what I mean? I I like him a little more after his third fight with Triple G because it was kind of bittersweet. It's really weird because Triple G lost, and I I still like Canelo more than I did previously. But – canelo's diva tactics with the triple g fight when triple g was younger and the way he prolonged the fight and i don't really care about the steroid thing people love bringing that up but i don't really care about it that much but the fact that he lost both fights in my opinion definitely the first one no one could really argue the second one i definitely thought triple g won but a lot of people disagree with that one i feel he went zero and two against triple g now he's one and two but that's a different discussion i felt he went zero and two against triple g he um just did a lot of diva stuff he talked a lot way too much for my liking and I really started to get a distaste, a distaste for Canelo. And it's weird because after he beat Miguel Cotto, I was a massive Canelo fan. Like I was actually struggling between who I liked more between Triple G and Canelo. No one really knows that I was a huge Canelo Olivers fan at one point. My first fight I ever watched was a Canelo fight.
1: Oh yeah, of course. So, yeah, Mosley. Wow, well, yeah. I mean, to, the fact that you said you were like six years old at that time in 2012 Crazy, is right? just like mad to me. <laughs> it makes me feel... I know,
2: <laughs> I know. I was, I was in, Um. I think it was the end of, first grade. That's crazy. It's it's crazy in hindsight because I actually really, I don't know why, but I just gravitated towards the whole sport. Not just them fighting in general, but like the statistics, the trunks that they'd wear, like the different colored shorts they'd wear, you know, um, what else? The the twenty-four sevens HBO did. Honestly, if I didn't have HBO and I just watched Showtime Boxing when I was younger, I don't know if I would have gotten into boxing the way I did because HBO's presentation was so well done, it could capture anyone.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm British, so I didn't even get to see as as kind of much as um the americans did in terms of access with hbo but so much of their stuff uh, it was
2: awesome uh, it was awesome though where 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 are where in the uk do you reside bro i live in wales wales that's actually pretty cool man yeah not 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 the most common answer but i respect it for sure yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's normally london or like birmingham some of some of the big ones but um i've been around everywhere so i was like kind of born in bristol um which is a city down south Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just kind of bounced around the south all my life, and uh, moved to Wales about 2000, 2009. It's pretty um, cool, man. Yeah, so so yes, it's uh, it's it's been a whole journey, but this is this is where I found my love for boxing. Um, Ten minutes down the road, uh, down Roos ABC, coached by um, Michael Smythe, who actually beat Joe Calzaghi in the amateurs. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's the. That's claim actually to awesome, fit. man. <laughs> um, that's actually really cool, man. But yeah, so, you know, but this is what what is great about our sport is that, uh, you know, globally, uh, everyone around it knows the same people, um, the same fighters and bring all these these different opinions and, you know, or even share the same opinions about these topics. But Mm -hmm. of course, you know, if if Golovkin's going to be your your favorite fighter, then then it's hard to 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 like both.
2: Now, normally yeah. when there's two fighters and they have a rivalry, I can like both at the same time. But if you like a fighter that much, same thing with Crawford Spence. I'm a big Crawford fan, so I can't really like Spence like that. But if I like both of them similarly prior and neither of them I am too connected to, and I could I could end up being a fan of both fighters. I can't think of any massive rivalries, but like better be and Bival, right? I mean, if they fight, I'm a fan of both guys. Uh, yeah,
1: you got to love it, that because that's just undisputed. You know, but both those guys are – are kind of hard to to dislike, really? Oh, I don't know.
2: It's crazy to dislike them. And I was actually at Better BF's fight against Joe Smith. It was awesome. It was it was yeah. so cool. I thought it'd yeah. be a war, and it was kind of cool because I was in New York, and everyone except for me and a few other people were rooting for Joe Smith. They're all cheering Joe Smith on, and Better have just walked through him in two rounds. It was it was crazy.
1: I was not expecting. I I didn't think it was necessarily a 50-50 fight, for, but the fact that it's a unification,
2: you yeah. know, you
1: think that there's going to be a lot of competition there. Better Bep just wiped right the floor and, with
2: it. And the crazy part is I was picking better be by fifth round knockout, and people were, were saying to me, Wow, you think he's gonna do that easy? Wow, you're crazy. <laughs> people were actually clowning me for saying fifth round, and he ended up taking him out in two rounds. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's he another, really outdid.
1: That's another prediction right there that uh that kind of <laughs> must have impressed people. But um just Thank moving you. on, uh, we mentioned Bivol there. Um and you know, we've mentioned Haney, two guys who've had mm-hmm. unbelievable years uh with it with their victories. And this has been uh, another thing that's been debated around, uh, Twitter and just around kind of boxing socials, uh, this past couple of weeks as we near the end of 2022, um, who would your pick for fighter of the year be? Because, you know, there are so many guys
2: tough year, man. who, who've really had tough
1: a, year. who've made a case for themselves. You've got Shakur Stevenson in there as well. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Rodriguez, who I've become, who's oh, just bam. come out of nowhere yeah. and, and just surprised <laughs> yeah. me and I'm, I'm a great fan of him. And my dad actually, uh, keeps along with boxing and introduced me to it. Um, oh, that's cool. And always just hates on the lower weights, though. And I'm like, no, nah, you got to <laughs> keep up with flyweight because th- this guy's it. in there making moves.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting because about two months ago, I made a post saying who the fighter of the year was. And I knew two months ago that uh this would be a tough call because there were a lot of fighters that if they won their second fight, they, they for any other year virtually, maybe not last year because Canelo did fight three times last year when it was but for like most years would win it. Here's, here's the, my main frontrunners. You got Bivol if he beats Zerto, and that's probably who I'm going to give it to if he beats Zerto. But you, don't forget, you got Chocolatito if he beats Estrada and has a win against Julio Cesar Martinez. That's You've good. got, obviously, Bam. You've got Devin Haney who went undisputed and, and then defend against Cambosos. Now, Devin Haney is a dark horse. I wouldn't actually give it to him because he dominated George both times. But him accomplishing that is definitely worth uh, a, a mention. There was... Um, there was a few other guys I was really looking into. You did say Shakur. I can't really give it to Shakur. The Valdez wins good, but the Kansakayao, yeah. the whole buildup, he got stripped, and there was a few issues there. Yeah. I would give it to Beval. Oh, don't forget. That's the one I was forgetting. Anui. Inouye. Anui another one that people are forgetting because he on go undisputed against Paul Butler and destroyed Nonito there earlier in the year. So it's a very tough call. I would say Beval, Chocolatito, Anui, and Haney are my four front runners, but I'm going to edge it out to Bivol if he beats Sergo. And it, he, he can't get, like, a gift against Sergo. He has to... Win
1: it. He has to do it convincingly, yeah. And uh, the only thing, obviously, you know, in, in this modern age of boxing, you don't get guys that are fighting like they did twenty years ago in terms of activity. But I think mm-hmm. that's um, I've I've got Bam Rodriguez up there for me because that is one thing I think that he's yeah. had over a lot of these fighters is is that kind of uh, persistence and that activity against mm-hmm. only top level guys in that division.
2: Yeah, for sure. He definitely has a strong case. The reason I wouldn't give it to him, honestly, is because. Beating Canelo Alvarez, who was my pound for pound number one and most pound for pound number one, then defending against an an undefeated prime former champion who is a top on Ring Magazine and Boxer, I is ranked number three. So he's a a consensus. I wouldn't say consensus of fans, but consensus of these rankings, the third best guy in the weight class. That is a a very good accomplishment. And you also have to keep in mind, yes, Bam's wins were good, but Quadras was out of his prime. And yes, I picked. No, I picked Bam to win that fight, but I barely did. So he outdid what I expected. And he definitely outdid what I thought he would do against Rungvisai. But again, he was also out of his prime. And then what was the name? Gonzalez. Israel Gonzalez. A good yeah. fighter. A solid underrated fighter. That's another solid win. So those are three good wins. And I think he had like one or two um, layup fights earlier in the year, if guys we don't really know. So he was very active and, and did definitely come out of nowhere this year. But it's not enough for me to defeat Viva, who beat Canelo and Zerdo, which are two very good wins.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, you were saying, that obviously, last year, you got to give it to Canelo. So for him to actually get beaten this year, you kind of have to give it to the, the man that yeah, beats the exactly. man for it.
2: And, that, and especially because he's fighting once more. If he only fought Canelo, I couldn't give it to him. I would probably give it to Chocolatito or Anui, and maybe uh, Haney and maybe Bam lingering there. But if he him fighting once more, again, that definitely means a lot. Bivol,
1: Bivol and zurdo Um with, with with these two guys, I mean, Bivol definitely the A-side the a Um, or all, all the hype about him. Does that kind of, do you think, throw Zerdo out of the limelight a little bit or maybe fans aren't kind of realizing how competitive he can make this fight?
2: I feel a lot of people are giving Zerdo his just due. I'm more concerned about Bivol's state of mind being affected by him being such a favorite because... The psychology of him being such an underdog and shocking the world against Canelo, to him being this pretty com- convincing guy, convincing favorite against a guy in Zerto who's, uh, who's always been a sleeper type of fighter, a guy that's always been under the radar and a guy that's very skilled and has always had the potential to pull something off. I feel like that's that's more what I'm thinking about, but I do think some people are sleeping on Zerto, but overall, when I look at it objectively, I, I feel it, it's going to be a, a very tough night for Zerto, a very tough night.
1: Well, wow, someone's always got to go, and uh, yep. that's this weekend. So, so very exciting stuff. We had a uh, Fighter of the Year talks there, and we got Dimitri Bivol in action against Gilberto Zudo, Gilberto Zudo mm-hmm. Ramirez on the weekend. Um, Max, obviously, you know we've spoken a little bit about your your predictions in the mm-hmm. past. Um, not to not to sneak some content out of you right now, but can we get a little exclusive prediction on this one for the weekend?
2: For uh, Bevel and Zerto, yeah, sure. I I, uh, I made my post on YouTube. I'm gonna make one on Twitter today. But I, I can definitely tell you. So what I think is gonna happen. It's hard to. This is a weird fight when it comes to giving like how the fight will play out, like how who will start strong, who will end strong. But what I see happening in a nutshell is Phil Bevel just have the more accurate work, the better work, right, the vo- better volume. And I think Zerto will definitely keep it competitive. And I do see him giving a better fight than Canelo, but I see it being an eight four nine three decision win for Dimitri Bivol. He's going to outbox him to better jab. He's going to uh, throw some nice combinations. And Zerdo, I think, is going to be a little gun-shy throughout the fight. He'll make it tough. He will use some physicality, and he'll definitely win rounds, but he won't do enough to get the decision. 8-4, 9-3 for Dimitri Bivol.
1: Yeah, I I think it's going to be another convincing win. Sort of hoping that it will be um, for the Russian, because otherwise... you know as as a canelo fan i don't want that that loss to age badly you know i want yeah. it to be kind of the fact that there's like no shame in uh in losing to Bivol, and you know that hasn't this far as we we both said you know he's he's a top contender for fighter of the year and he's just got that style that volume that that doesn't just go away over 12 rounds he'll keep pouring those combinations on that that volume punching is just relentless beautiful,
2: beautiful. he's one of the best technicians in boxing i've said this for a while and you know, another reason, if you're a Canelo fan that you want b to win, you want Canelo to avenge that loss. You don't want him to beat a Bivol coming off a loss to Zerto. I mean, uh, when you look at it objectively, th- you want Canelo to beat the guy that beat him when he's on top. Because that would make Canelo look really good. I mean, if yeah. he beats b after b wins fighter of the year and beats Zerto, he may... I'm not going to say he's power-proud pound, number one again, but he's definitely top two, top three.
1: Yeah, I, I I really can't see... I wouldn't even see the point in a rematch. I feel like it's, it's a waste of time um, in Canelo's career. I feel like he needs to stick at at 168, 168 and yeah, and, and right not right any wrongs because you know he's, he's perfect in that division as so far but there are so many names not so many but there
2: are you few, know two or three
1: important you got names benavidez you got know. Charlo, you
2: got andre you got a few guys specifically benavidez but i don't think canelo beats benavidez anymore that's another prediction that I've changed i used to think canelo beat benavidez i don't think so man i yeah. don't like how he, i don't like how canelo gets tired benavidez is so much bigger hungrier such great work great volume good chin good power fresher canelo moving down in way i think it's a perfect storm for benavidez to beat him
1: i remember actually seeing that tweet and i was like oh really he's, he's going with benavidez over there but
2: yeah for I, for the longest i was picking canelo
1: yeah yeah I, I think a lot of people are um either changing their mind or, or stuck with benavidez from the start obviously canelo would still be the favorite but i yeah. mean there's a lot there's a lot to like about benavidez um i just kind of still have that um like like watching a, a Prime Roy Jones, that kind of buying into that invincibility, um, especially at that weight, you know. I'm kind of just thinking, ah, who who is out there that that can stop this guy? But Benavidez, like Bivol, does have that volume, as you were saying. He he, he does have that um, fast mm-hmm. hands that that don't stop coming at you. So I think the the one thing uh, that Canelo is struggling with, you said, you know, is is tank isn't as as full as it it might have used to be going over um going over 12 rounds now, but mm-hmm. in the bivol fight, the problem for me was the adjustments not no adjustments were being made and and the, mm-hmm. this is what the top guys do. You saw uh, my favorite example of adjustments in a fight is well you could you could throw corrales Castillo in that one just yeah. came to mind there, but also uh, Mayweather against Koto. Um, yeah you know this
2: second is fight the, ever, second fight I ever saw, by the way.
1: Yeah, amazing, yeah.
2: you got to be a big fan of
1: Koto because I sorry he keeps popping up in these uh, early well, days. I, I
2: days. do like Koto. My mom was a big Koto guy. You know, it's funny. This is going to sound crazy. I was rooting for Canelo and picking Canelo to beat Koto when they fought.
1: Yeah, and it, he was... uh It's been so long now, but I'm sure he was the underdog going into that one,
2: was he? You know, I think betting-wise, Canelo's a favorite. But I remember because I was watching... This is when I first made my channel like two, three months ago. I was watching all the predictions and most people were picking Koto. I was a little surprised... I was a little nervous for Canelo because a lot of people thought Cotto would pull it off. They were they were falling into the, oh, he's a Freddie Roach now. He just knocked out Daniel Gill, a Triple G left over, by the way, that only Cotto gets credit for stopping.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. And uh, there are a couple of names on Golovkin's record like that that kind of oh, yeah. just get – get uh, No credit, yeah. yeah Macklin,
2: people- Macklin, Murray, Monroe, Lemieux, guys that other fighters, when they beat, they get credit. And when they beat him less convincingly, like – when Billy Joe beat Lemieux, nowhere near as convincingly as Triple G did, he got so much praise. Now, when Triple G battered him, busted him up, and stopped him, he got some credit early on, but no one really credits him anymore. No one, no one. When they bring up his wins, they're like, "Ah, oh, he beat Lemieux," you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that for sure. And um, you know, as, as we were talking about Koto, someone who is uh 147 pounds, that is where I want to be turning my uh, mm-hmm. or our, our attention to because. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the. Uh, I mean, this is the the big one over the past 24 hours, yeah, and such man. as as far as Twitter goes, because these guys have been going back and forth. But this has been something that's that's going on for years. Uh, Errol yeah. Spence, Terence Crawford, and if, unless you want to put Crawford before Spence, these two guys, um, you know, there. This feels like this collision course should should be imminent, but it it doesn't look like it's that way anymore, and it's just highlighting what also the ben and eubank fight has is just highlighting all all the things that we dislike about boxing all the bad yeah. things the politics yeah. that comes with it um and look these these guys aren't young young guys anymore i think spencer's around 33 or four and crawford just had his 35th birthday so if it doesn't get made now then it's going to be a serious problem and it's something all of us yeah. wanted so it almost feels like i'm i'm speaking at a funeral like talking about this fight <laughs> because i know it, it'd be sad to see it go
2: yeah, this is a, a very draining topic for, for us. You know, it's for fans of the sport. What What's really happened here is quite, I don't even want to say it's sad anymore. It's, I actually think it's pretty embarrassing how this fight has really slipped from us. And it's a little disgusting. If they, if they never, I actually, at this point, if they fight, it's not even going to mean the same. It's already lost value. People don't want to actually say it. If this fight happened a year or two ago, it would have been a bigger, not even a bigger fight for fans, but just a better fight because Crawford was better a year or two ago. Spence may have even been better a year or two ago. Now, everyone's getting blamed for this. I've made a few tweets uh, clowning Errol Spence a little bit because I am on Crawford's side and it gets me good engagement. I think if either fighter is to be blamed, I'm not blaming either fighter fully, but Spence is more to blame than Crawford in my opinion. This is a guy who said he'd rather take the easy road and fight Sean Porter. This is the guy that talks about other side of the street. This is the guy that's making all these crazy demands, 60-40. Crawford's already taking less money. So if Errol has pretty much all of it in his, in his favor, plus it's with his promoter on his network, all this, all that, and he still are trying to find reasons to 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 screw over Crawford to, to in you know higher details, things that fans don't really talk about, like guarantees and all that. But but little things they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Can't be surprised Crawford doesn't want to do it anymore. And it's funny how when Crawford, it's like these people are very fragile because Crawford announces he's fighting David Avanesian. They have a heart attack. You know the fight's off. You know Crawford has been out of the ring for a while. What do you want him to do? Wait till April or May, be out of the ring for 18 months. 19 months before fighting Errol Spence. An announcement was inevitable. I mean, the, the it was quite comical, the reaction of people when he announced he was fighting Abanesian. What do you want him to do? Stay out of the ring for 18 and 19 months and fight an Errol Spence coming off fighting in April. I mean, he has to make a move, right? So I don't blame either. I think it's a mix of everything, but it's more Spence and Heyman than Crawford, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think, um, just talk, mentioning the tune-ups there, I think uh, it's so poor to, to react in that way when... A fight does fall through and then uh, one of the fighters announces a tune-up it as you said what what else do you expect them to do they yeah they're in full training ready for a fight potentially the fight of their lives if that one's not there then they're gonna need a replacement so i think it's so pointless to to hate on that and um you know avonician has ended up just getting a load of abuse just for <laughs> for, for, for choosing each. to fight for a world title like i mean it's crazy. it's crazy but um
2: you know avanesian you know they're saying spence is gonna fight thurman i think I, I would pick thurman to be avanesian but he wouldn't dominate avanesian he'd struggle that'd be a close fight for thurman and people are giving uh avanesian too much disrespect i mean this is a guy who just stopped the top prospect and josh kelly destroyed him is on a big streak of knockouts he's not a great opponent this won't help crawford's pound for pound status but there's a lot worse tune-ups crawford could have chosen like yeah like when spence fought carlos ocampo if you want to get a quick example
1: yeah yeah no that, that's it's, it's very true and uh as you said like, avionicia maybe not getting the credit he deserves probably because he's not on that level um i mean it's hard to be anywhere near crawford's level with the mm-hmm. the things that he does in that ring and the only one that can get near it is spence and it is really hard for us to mm-hmm. kind of get that inside look on on contracts and these legal obligations and you know what really goes on we we can only hazard guesses and, and use what information is out there to the public to see who is more in the wrong and um you know i i i like to say i'm a spence fan um i really i think i think it normally stems from me being uh just being british and being patriotic um just because spence beat cal Brook. um you know I, i'm a fan of the guys that kind of beat my guys because i realize oh okay that you know they're they're the top ones and you kind of you want you want them to to do good in in that sense. Yeah. I, uh, I see where you're coming from, and I think same with Avenisian with Kelly as well. But um, yeah, so it's it's a shame to actually see Spence kind of admitting these things that that Crawford's put out, and I don't think it was kind of put out there to necessarily shame Spence, but it was Crawford more given a explanation to us yeah. um, on you know a, a well deserved explanation as well. I think this transparency sure. is is what's needed uh, between you know boxers and and fans and i like to think that uh, especially you know me as an aspiring one that journalist can kind of come as the in-between to to help fans out with this information but it is really hard uh, looking into it and i feel like both men are to blame so yeah I, I, know, I know what you're saying as well with with spence and probably being on on the worst side of it and it's a shame because i feel like al Heyman doesn't really although you know they have a lot of loyalty to each other and and spence doesn't really want his career without al Heyman. i feel like it could have just gone in so many better ways uh yeah. without him to a degree
2: oh for sure for sure and you know what what's really what i definitely respect about crawford in the situation is he was getting trashed by everyone and getting a real barrage and he completely took control of the situation and completely took initiative to to regain control that he lost in the situation and honestly if you ask a lot of people two days ago three to go, three days ago that were trashing crawford and were defending spence their views will likely have changed heavily because crawford went out of his way to to, to be fully transparent as you mentioned and i feel that was a very smart move from terence crawford a very good decision and now people are more like uh did crawford really duck spence i mean i made a tweet saying the last thing crawford is is a duck and it's aging well because he's proving what and spence is proving everything crawford's saying and crawford you know has the the ability to actually state everything that's been going on so I definitely have gained some extra respect for Crawford
1: yeah and uh it's you said it's, it's a good look for Crawford kind of speaking up and then for Spence mm-hmm. to do it afterwards only when Crawford's released that isn't isn't great for yeah. him so it's uh interesting the way things are looking for him and it's going to yeah. be kind of hard to recover for this one I feel like the only way both men can recover from it I think Spence might each other. Yeah, I think Spence might have taken a bigger hit from this, but he can yeah. only set it right by uh, by fighting and, and beating Crawford. But that's all up in the air for now. If if these guys were to get in the ring, uh, you know, hopefully they do. Uh, Max, I assume you're siding with Terence Crawford here. Yeah.
2: yeah, I've been picking Crawford to win this fight for a very long time since I remember there were some videos made, I believe, early 2016, where... Spence was a prospect who just knocked out Chris Algieri, and Crawford was doing very well at 140, but there was no real talent that can match Crawford at 140. And everyone, including myself, was just waiting until Crawford moved up. And I said from the bet from the get-go, I was always, my gut was always telling me Crawford would win this fight. It wouldn't be an easy fight. And I still don't think it would be. I've seen a lot of Crawford fans say he'd stop Errol. I don't think he would stop Errol. I think he might drop Errol once or twice. I don't think he's stopping Errol Spence. Spence isn't going to let himself get stopped in such a high magnitude fight. And yes, Crawford's looked excellent. His powers looked phenomenal 147 but i feel that's a fight where crawford's going to box a little more fight a little smarter maybe take a few extra rounds to really adjust and win a tough decision he's going to dig deep late they might rob him i'm just saying might be a draw don't be surprised if this fight is a draw and spence edges out the rematch by a majority decision
1: if they take it to texas or something i think it oh, might of course yeah uh, quite 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 dependent on the venue they'll have to they'll have to put it in the o2 just to make it neutral and oh of
2: course that would that would be awesome man. So, <laughs> it, it's it's Quite interesting that no one really brings up that Spence has every single advantage here. He's the younger guy. He has the promotion. He has the network. He's um he's the bigger guy. He has everything, but specifically political, right? The, with the promotion and the network. He's getting a higher percentage of the pay, which at one point was a big discussion. Should this fight be 50 50 or not? At one point, I thought it was I'm I'm okay if Spence getting 60-40, right? Yeah. I'm so Spence too- is getting 60 40 on his network. I know Crawford's a free agent, but PBC is Spence's network. With Al Heyman, likely Errol's location. And they can't give Crawford guarantees. I mean, they're getting everything from this. Keep in mind, Crawford's a three weight, former undisputed champion, consensus pound for pound level fighter, top five. I have in my top three. He is a guy that deserves more than he's getting. And even while taking the shorter end of the stick with the money and, and with the promotion, they are still looking for extra ways to gain little advantages. And the fact that this fight's not happening, you definitely can't blame Crawford. He agreed to almost everything
1: that's the problem is just the the greediness from those those networks and, and the promotions. It's like, if if these guys like, you know, if Al Heyman and his team were true fans of the sport, then they would do anything they could to, to get Crawford uh, in, in that ring with them. And especially when he's, you know, not, well, he's come out of top rank, isn't he? So the fact that he's kind of like a free agent in, in that aspect should make it easier, but it definitely I think, should. I think in, if if they're not budging, then Spence needs to step up, be the man, take initiative. Of course. And go and do what, what Bud did with uh, top rank and leave Al Heyman just to get this fight made.
2: Yeah, that's the thing with Errol lately as well. not lately, just since he's been known, he's never really and I'm not saying he's, you know, Al Heyman's, you know, Al Heyman Puppy. controls and yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's 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 worse words I could use, but I'm not gonna. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying he's that, but he has never fully been his guy, his own guy. He's always Anytime any fight's brought up, he says, talk to Al, talk to Al, talk to Al. Maybe Al can, maybe Al will let me, maybe, maybe my, maybe my uh, puppeteer Al Heyman will finally <laughs> let me fight Terrence Crawford. I'll put my big boy, big boy pants on and be allowed to fight Terrence Crawford. Well, Crawford, on the other hand, he's like, all right, I want to go in a room with Errol and let's discuss making this fight happen. He's at least attempting to do something, to get something going. Well, Errol's basically let Al Heyman and all these, his advisors and managers around them basically be you know take initiative and drive the wheel. Errol Spence is in the back of the car. He's not driving the wheel. He's not taking initiative the way Crawford has, and that's why I feel Crawford wins the fight. It, it's a, it, there's a lot of psychology behind this fight, in my opinion.
0: Mighty Max talking to Max Power, our very own Welsh wizard, Uh speaking to a man with all the credentials across the Atlantic. And and like we said at the start, what a chat that was. So insightful, so interesting, and uh, really inspiring as well. And uh, loads of talking points, including the fact that he wouldn't put Lomachenko in his fighter of the year list. Um, some really obscure shouts there. Tito was in there as well. Who did he go for and then he went for? Uh,
1: Dimitri Bivol, depending on how tomorrow
0: goes with uh, Ramirez. And that's a big fight at a normal time as well, right? You can watch it in the pub.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I literally was uh, just out the house a second ago and, and checked when it was. Just like pretty much assuming that was going to be American hours. Uh, so an absolute delight when... Uh, a fighters out the UK and it's in Dubai because we know we can get it while we're still awake then
0: loads of great bits from that Jack including the bit where you said that you were born in Bristol moved to Wales and you needed to say made in the Royal Navy I was waiting for it and I think most people would just add that a bit on the end
1: um no we need to uh, edit that in
0: <laughs> I might do I might just get the the guy from the advert in there um if you fix a bike but can he fix a <laughs> pair of boxing gloves there's another bit way i think you asked max how can you resolve this fight between this situation between uh spence and crawford and he he said and i said and i think everyone else would just shout just fight and uh that was a great bit of it so uh, loads of uh really kind of interesting controversial points including how max kind of allows people to win money from from the stuff he says which i thought was fascinating and i think he should be taking those 10 percent cuts um yeah, and a really interesting chat on rematch clauses, and I think that's a, a good place to start. Just generally speaking with rematch clauses, for, for example, I, is there a rematch clause for Tyson Fury, Chisora? I hope there isn't, but if there were, surely for a fight like that, that that's just pointless. Although, with rematch clauses, I don't know. I think if you win first time, surely then you've, you've just won. It's, it's hard.
1: Yeah, I think it all depends um, how convincingly the first fight gone but obviously when the rematch clause is in the fight contract and you, you've accepted that contract then it doesn't matter the result really. I think uh sometimes rematch clauses offer a bit of uncertainty uh with some fighters. It kind of says here's another fight in the contract just in case we don't get the result we want this time. But if you're so sure of your fighter then you wouldn't ever think that um that they would need a rematch to, to kind of prove themselves. So we, we've seen it like ruin boxing over the years to a, to a certain degree. Um, fights that we haven't had to see over again. Um, but we've also been treated to some really good rematches. And I think, as you said, it's really interesting um, while we were talking about the haney uh rematch clause because as I said, it's not really a fight that we needed to see again, but it actually ended up benefiting Haney, and uh, it's kind of made me a bit more of a fan uh, than I was of his. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, the the advantages and disadvantages, uh, disadvantages that they can have.
0: And, and another really interesting talking point was kind of David Avenissian, who who is managed, by the way, by Neil Marsh, who manages Zach Parker, who's a Derby boy. Uh, so there's there's the kind of Derby, Derby link with a man who's about to fight on the world stage. And I think that the hate towards uh, David is really unnecessary. Like you said, in that chat with Max, it's uh, why wouldn't he take that opportunity? One. And two, what's wrong with, with fighting David? If you're not going to get the fight, the initial fight, the, the Errol Spence, Terence Crawford fight, then why not take the other one?
1: Yeah. As I said, this, you know, there's no harm in a, in a tune up or a, or a keep busy fight. This is what fighters need. There's no point in, uh, I think Max said, you know, why is Crawford going to stay out the ring even longer when, uh, his last fight already was around this time last year. So it makes perfect sense to, uh, to that fight. And I think, you know, that he's always going to get backlash on his choice of opponents as long as it wasn't Spence. If it was anybody that wasn't Spence, he's always going to get a backlash. So it's, it's pretty unnecessary. And, um, as you said, yeah, a bit of, uh, a bit of home bias, maybe, with uh, David Avanissian there, uh, having, his, having his links to Derby, so uh, you can only wish him well, and every time I've watched him fight, he's uh, he's been so entertaining, so I think this little resurgence in his career now is, uh, you know, wh- why why not take that, that title fight? I know you've got kind of Virgil Ortiz and Joran um, Ennis on the kind of Fringes of uh, bagging a world title fight, but they've got years to go in their career, and Avan- that's what Avenisian doesn't have. So, um, I think you know the priorities are right in terms of uh, who should be deserving of title shots right now.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he trains in Nottingham, David Avenisian, as well. So, a r- really kind of lo- locally bred fighter. Well, he's not local, but he's kind of a locally. He's been locally trained, uh, here in the Midlands, and and finally, I suppose his views on Errol Spence now, Hayman max max's views and i think actually he's bang on if you want to get something done just get it done uh, all this talk going through promoters sometimes i just i just wish in boxing if, if you say something you go and then get it done as, as opposed to uh, I'll go and talk to al or i'll uh, go and talk to eddie or to frank or who, whoever it is and i think he makes a really good point there and i like that terence crawford just goes and gets stuff done and i completely agree with him on that point
1: yeah no me too and uh you know, starting off as an Errol Spence fan is kind of hard to hear that, but you know, facts don't care about feelings, and the facts are that Spence's—I don't want to say he's hid behind uh, Al Heyman at all, but you know, there is that obstacle in the way, and it hasn't made things easier. And I think, um, yeah, out of the two fighters, it has looked worse on Spence's end, so it's—it's it's, it's only fair enough um, that that's how many of the fans are going to perceive him from, from here on out. So the only way he can redeem himself with the people that have, um, that have looked at him differently over the course of these events over the, well, from two weeks to two years ago, um, he can only redeem himself by, by making the fight and really proving to people that that look, you know, Alhima doesn't get in the way of my career. I can do this. And yeah, I think uh, that level of independence is, is needed with fighters nowadays.
0: And we've learned from Max as well that an outspoken or a controversial opinion often does very well on, on social media. And, and that's how he's got to his 6K on Twitter and his 3.1K, I think, on YouTube. And, and that's just going to keep on growing. And I thought that was a really interesting part of your chat as well, where I, I think he's completely right. Sometimes I'm, I'm not promoting clickbait, but it is important in journalism sometimes. And I think Max has got it spot on. I think the balance that he's found is, it has been really good.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can't really hate on... Um... As you said, don't want to say clickbait, but those kind of titles or those kind of posts that will will lure you in because that's what gets interaction. It gets people talking. Some people will agree, and other people won't. Um, when it gets that kind of engagement with uh, other fans, you know, there, there's absolutely no problem in that. But I think that was a you know a, a good, interesting part of the conversation because we weren't just talking boxing the whole time. It was nice to actually kind of. Uh, peel back the layers to, to who this guy really is behind Twitter and, um, you know, see, see this 17 uh, year old American kid for how he kind of got to, got to where he got on social media. So um, it was interesting to kind of hear from his personal experiences as well, you know, as he was saying about um, getting into boxing in like 2012 and stuff. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm glad we kind of got to talk about as well as the, the topics that we covered.
0: It's unreal. At 17 years old, the knowledge he has, the, 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 the kind of, the mature head and his shoulders that he has. He's so beyond his years in terms of his maturity. And, and I thought he was just brilliant and a, and a real credit to boxing and uh, American kind of punditry as well. So really enjoyed having Max on and Max, thank you so much again for coming on. And I think that wraps up this week's middlemen podcast, but what a pleasure to have a guest on mighty Max boxing, go follow him on Instagram, well on Twitter and you subscribe to him on YouTube and Max, as always thank thank you i uh, thank you this week because y- you really carried it
1: <laughs> yeah no of course mate it's just a, a shame we can uh we can get you into that conversation but uh, he's free to come back any anytime he likes uh, we'll have to have him on in the future and then you can join us we might even be live at that point so uh, it'll be it'll be great to kind of uh, have a conversation with all three of us but thank you guys for listening um as you said, though, it's great to have a insightful, different kind of character on to, to what everyone's been used to the past few months. And um, yeah, great, great to have somebody of different culture as well. You know, have an American guy on. Um, a lot of our guys I know when we started this podcast, we had the GB athletes on. So uh, to bring in uh, somebody a bit of a different accent, bit of a bit of a different perception on life, man, is great. So thank you guys for uh, listening. And yeah, we'll be back with you soon.